0: Rudyard Kipling, a great English poet, asked a pertinent question that I think bears reflection today. What stands if freedom falls? What stands if freedom falls? Freedom is worth for. Freedom is worth valuing. Freedom is worth treasuring. Now, I'm not here to raise a militia today. There's no... Shotguns in the back. We're not going to go out with a placard or a protest today. But I am here to remind you that freedom does come with a price. I've been very fortunate in my practice to um, serve over the years many veterans of our military service, men and women. Um, the older guys, primarily men, but as the, they get younger and younger and the conflicts get more recent, men and women that have served our country in many ways. Um, I was privileged to serve a young man uh, that, well, he was an elder when I served him. But as a young man, uh, he was isolated for two weeks from the rest of his company. There there was one platoon of men, and they crossed a bridge on reconnaissance, and they heard a big boom behind them. They looked around, and the bridge was blown up. And they couldn't get back to their company. And for two weeks, they ate off Hershey bars and some plants that grew out of the ground that they would just boil and make a little grass soup, if you would. He said for the rest of his life, he never liked chocolate. He couldn't eat Hershey bars. He just got, it, just, it just got to him. Uh, I served with a man who who drove one of those duck boats on D-Day. And in his sector, the naval commander had said you can only make one trip because the German guns were supposed to be taken out, but the 101st Airborne got blown 17 miles inland, if you're familiar with that history and all of that. And, and so some, those guys were sitting ducks as they came in, and uh, literally because they were in duck boats. And so Uh, His commander said, you only got to make one trip. And he made one, and he came back. And he volunteered again to go back because he he wanted to do more than what his duty was. And Scott, he made it a second time. And so he said, I think I'll go back again. And again, and again, and again, and again, again, until he made 13 trips. He was only required to do one. But this gentleman that I served uh, medically had already served our country. And had gone above and beyond the call of duty. And so that man, no doubt, has met the Lord now because he was aged then, and this was 20 years ago. But I bring up his name to remind you, in the name of the person who nearly starved, to remind you that there are people who made great sacrifices so that we could vote, so that we could have freedom of assembly, so that we can call on the name of Jesus freely and not fear right now in our country that someone's going to take our homes from us. And so we remind you that those that have sacrificed for freedom are worthy of honor. And I would say spiritually that if we're going to have freedom, it will also involve sacrifices plural. We know the greatest sacrifice of all that brought freedom to us, Willie, really, was from Christ Himself. The great sacrifice of His own life that He laid down for you and for me. The Bible says, Jesus' words were, greater love hath no man in this that a man lay down his life for his friends. If you've ever wondered if God wants to be your friend, I ask you to look at Calvary and you'll see that he laid down his life for you. And he said, a man lays down his life for his friends. Abraham is the only man of the Old Testament who was called the friend of God. But I've got news for you today. Anybody in the New Testament church can consider themselves the equal of Abraham because we are all the friends of God because he has laid down his life for us in Christ. I'm thankful today for the sacrifice that was made for my freedom. the sacrifice. Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a famous speech and Norman Rockwell put that in artistic form because Rebecca, he was like you. He was gifted as an artist. And Rockwell made a painting called The Four Freedoms. And four foundational freedoms that Roosevelt mentioned were the freedom of expression. The freedom that we have to stand up and say what we want to say. Now there are consequences of speech, but no one's going to put you in jail for saying Jesus is Lord, or I like uh, Donald Trump, or I like Nancy Pelosi, or, or... I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I I like Arlington. I don't like Arlington. Nobody's going to put you in jail for your speech. There are consequences, but you do have freedom to express yourself. Secondly was the freedom of worship. And again, I thank God today that we are free to worship. I'm concerned about the direction that our country is going. I'm concerned over the last few months, some of the things that have happened. And you guys know I have been an advocate for obeying the laws of land. I see some of those rulings, uh, even from our Supreme Court, going against churches and in favor of other entities. Just for instance, there was a a case that the Supreme Court evaluated uh, about three weeks ago in which it was brought by one of our United Pentecostal churches from Southern California that involved uh, the governor's rule that they were not allowed to meet and to assemble at the same time that he had allowed movie studios to produce films. And I'm not here to say that films should not be produced and there are worthy films that are worthy of being watched. I'm not here to, to bang on the movie industry and say it's it's awful or sinful or those kind of things. That's not my point. My point is, if it's okay to make a movie, it should be okay to lift up reality. It's, it's It should be okay. And, and so I have concerns about our freedom of worship. And I, I would ask you, you know... I'm not here to, to, to mention political parties and things like that, but we need to pray for our nation. We are we are commanded. We're commanded in Scripture to pray for those that, that rule over us, even politically. And Paul said, pray that you can live lives of peace. And we need to pray that we will have a space for evangelism in America, and we need to take advantage of that. Freedom from want. Freedom from want. And in Rockwell's painting, he's got this matronly figure who's bringing out this great big turkey. And it looks like a meal for Thanksgiving, if you've ever seen that, that uh, the painting, The Four Freedoms. And, and there's a family gathered around, and it's wonderful that we have all the food that we need today. There's not a person in this church today that's going to go hungry, and I thank God for His blessings on us, that, that we don't have to worry about that. To be honest with you, most of us, if we have a challenge with food, it's more on the other side that we're prone to, to, to have to watch what we do and kind of exercise not many of us suffer from not having enough. And I'm thankful that we have cars to drive. I'm thankful that we have clothes to wear. Whether your suit costs $20 or 2000 today, you've got one. I, I've been to places to preach before um, in other continents where the ministers, uh, not all of them, had shoes. And, and, I, and I've been to places where um, our, our hand-me-downs, would, you know, the, the worst thing in your closet would be the best thing that that person had to wear. And, and I'm thankful that we don't have want today. Freedom of expression, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. We came in last night about, oh, 8.30, maybe it was 8.45, to our neighborhood, and children were out playing, families were out, and it was already uh, kind of dark, but they were shooting off fireworks to celebrate our nation's, uh, celebration of our, our nation's birthday, and and uh, so we, we kind of stayed outside because we wanted to see what the kids would do and if they liked it or not. And uh, Bennett kind of looked at it a little bit as he does with things. And then he kind of, he, he didn't have too much interest in it. And Jude kind of looked at it. And before long, he started crying. He was holding next to me. And so we, we took him inside. Well, it got louder and louder and louder. And those kids got more and more scared until we basically had a toddler takeover of our bedroom Uh, rather, rather than going to their cribs, they came into our bed and we actually let them sleep with us last night because they were scared because of those loud noises and everything. But you know what I'm thankful for is that those sounds that sounded scary weren't scary. Those weren't real gunshots. They were celebratory fireworks. But there are areas of the world where outside your window, if your kids are hiding like that, They've got a reason to hide. I'm thankful that we live in a land of peace. I'm thankful that we live in a land of prosperity. I'm thankful that we live in a land of worship. And I'm thankful that we live in a land where we are free to express ourselves. Whether it's, you know, we can peacefully proclaim the things that we want to proclaim. If you look at the Bible, the concept of freedom enters the biblical narrative in the Mosaic Law. Because there were two categories of people in the Mosaic Law, there was slaves and there were freedmen or free women. There were slaves and there were freemen, and this is the context that Jesus takes up in John eight thirty-two to thirty-six. And he said, "If the Son makes you free, then you are free indeed. If the Son makes you free, then you're free indeed." And Jesus is telling the Jewish people, "You can be free." And they looked at him, Mary, and they did what most people want to do. They they wanted to pretend like everything was okay. And they said, we're Abraham's children. We've never been bond to any man. In other words, I don't need the freedom that you're proclaiming, Jesus. You say you want to make me free, but we're already free. But Scott, they were (laughs) actually lying. The Bible teaches us that for 430 some odd years, they had been bound in Egypt. And they knew that history. But they said, we're Abraham's children. We've never been bound to any man. Well, how did the pyramids get there? You know, what were those lashes on your back? What was Moses doing when he was keeping the the foreman from driving them into the ground when they were working they have been slaves for centuries. And yet, they wanted to say, we've never been slaves. You know, there are a lot of people in the world that don't like to admit they have a problem. We like being in control. We like the illusion of it. We want to be right. And we want to be like God's. Satan is still peddling the same poison that he peddled to Eve and to Adam in the garden. If you do this and you do this, then you'll be like God's and you can know truth from evil and good from evil yourselves. We even have the saying now that you see on social media and in conversations My truth. 7.2 billion people, 7.2 billion truths, and everybody thinks they've got all the answers. They're just like these people that were in Jesus' conversation. When Jesus said, You can be free, they said, First of all, we're already free and we don't need freedom. And secondly, we've never had any bondage. Jesus is kind here. He doesn't even take up the historical record of their physical slavery that had happened in Egypt. He doesn't even address that, but he goes right to the heart of the problem to why he was really saying they need freedom, needed freedom. He said, if you yield yourselves to sin, then you become the slave or the servant of sin. I had a relative one time that had a scorpion and it was in a terrarium. I don't know what possessed my uncle and my aunt to have a pet scorpion. To me, that seems like a dumb thing to do. But people are into all kinds of things. And so they had this scorpion and it was their pet. Okay? And they got it in a terrarium so they can look at it. You walk up there and you can... Hey, little scorpion. And they could, you know, you can look at it. You can you can feed it. You can say hi to it. You can name it. You can say, "Isn't that cute?" And it was a scorpion, right? Lethal. Well, one day they went to look at the scorpion and to look at their pet, Preston. And I don't know what happened, but you know the moral of the story. You know why I'm bringing this up, don't you? What happened to the scorpion? He was out of the terrarium. And what had been a pet became a concern because now what was controlled was no longer controllable. They searched that house high and low. I don't know if they ever found the scorpion. I know there's one way you don't want to find a scorpion, right? I would have been looking through my shoes. I, I probably had to move. I'd have to move or have a marital separation, I'll tell you that. Janna wouldn't live with that scorpion. I'm going to tell you that. Sin is like that, isn't it? We start out thinking we can contain it. We know it's dangerous. But we think as long as we can contain it, then it can entertain us without killing us. That it can it can give us something that we desire a feeling of satisfaction, a feeling of acceptance, a feeling of of belonging, a feeling of a thrill, or a feeling of, of being in control, and yet it won't dominate us. But the truth is, the scorpion always gets out of the terrarium. What starts out as your pet never ends up with you in control. Sin has a way of escaping the bounds that you put it in. And it may begin as your slave, but sin will always end as your master. What you give in to, you will eventually have to serve. What you begin with a flirtation ends in in condemnation. What begins as a dalliance ends with chains. What begins with with with, with inviting things actually ends when you cannot get free. And Jesus was alluding to this. He said, if you begin with sin, you wind up serving sin. They said, No, not us. We've never been slaves. We've never been slaves to anybody. And Jesus said, the slave doesn't always stay in the house, but the son can always stay in the house. It's a cryptic reference. What does it mean? The servant is bound to the house as long as the master's there, but when the master dies, the the household breaks up because the servant doesn't own the house that he lives in, but the son owns the house that he lives in. What is Jesus saying? That sin doesn't stay and doesn't satisfy even though it rules over you it doesn't abide with you because sin is not your friend but the son of god the son of man jesus christ himself is the one that abides with us and He stays in the house. I've got good news for you as the church today. If you surrender your life to Christ and you join with Him in covenant and you invite His Spirit to come inside you, it's not like sin where where you invite it and it begins to rule over you and grinds you down and crushes you and then leaves you destitute. But the Spirit of God, once it comes in your life, the Son stays with the house. He stays in your temple and He rules over you yes but in love and in righteousness and in joy and in peace and you begin to grow in freedom you grow in freedom jesus makes a distinction because he was not bound by sin he could stay with the house because jesus was never bound by sin he didn't have to surrender to death he laid down his life but he said I will take it back up again. And on the third day, He arose and put death and sin in its place. And because of that sacrifice, because of that freedom that He bought for us, every person under the sound of my voice has the opportunity for freedom today. No matter your citizenship in the world, no matter what your passport says that you got at the post office, in the spirit realm, you can be free. And the Bible says that the Son, twice Jesus said, it makes you free. Why is that critical? Sheila, I can go down to 201 Poplar and if i got some keys, I can set a lot of people free. Now, it wouldn't be long before they saw me on the CC camera and I wouldn't be free myself. But I could have quite a time going through there, opening up the locks and setting everybody free. The problem is that as soon as they discovered, Willie, really, I had let all those people out of their jail cells, somebody would find them and put them right back because although they were set free, a judge had not made them free. All they did is change their location. They didn't change their condemnation. They were just as guilty at 199 Poplar as they were sitting in 201 Poplar. All I did was make a jailbreak. But when Jesus came to deal with your sin, and when Jesus came to deal with my sin, He didn't just set us free by unlocking us from the consequences. He made us free from the inside out because Colossians... 2 and 15 in my Bible says that He took the handwriting of laws which was against us and nailed them to His cross and took them out of the way. I am as guilty today as I ever was in some people's eyes, but I am as guiltless as I have ever been in God's eyes because He sees me through the blood of Christ. And I've not been set free from my sin. I have been made free from my sin. That means I'm really not guilty. It means in God's books, Jim, I am justified instantaneously by his blood. The mercy of Jesus Christ has made me free. Galatians 3:28, the mosaic legal distinction between those who were physically slaves and those who were who were physically free is ultimately dissolved in Christ. Because in the end, hear me now. In the end, the ultimate reality is is spiritual reality. You can be a multi-billionaire and be a popper if your spiritual state is not right. And whether you are rich or poor, educated or uneducated, whether you have great advantages or no advantages in life, the only thing that really matters in the end is whether Christ has made you free. You can have ten helicopters, Or you cannot have a dollar gas can to pour in somebody else's lawnmower. But if you're free in Christ, that is what truly matters in this life. Retirement funds, 401Ks, or a stack of bills this high, what matters, what matters is being free in Christ. Paul makes it plain in Galatians 4.31, we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. We can proclaim freedom to others because we have been made free ourselves the wonderful thing about being a Christian is you don't have to just soak up all the freedom yourself but you have the opportunity to share your freedom with others and your freedom is actually contagious, contagious. one of the scourges of American history is that throughout a large portion of the early part of our country there was chattel slavery involved in, and where people were bought and sold just like they were animals for property. It's, it's a shame and a stain on the early part of our country. And one of, the, one of the things I like to read about is those like Frederick Douglass who began their lives in slavery, but then they ended their lives in freedom because of their hard work, because of their sacrifice. Some ran away and and, and, and got their freedom in that way. Others fought for their freedom in the Civil War. And the, the, I, I enjoy those stories of people who were lifted out of slavery to freedom. But can you imagine with me the tragedy of being made yourself but those that you loved and those that you knew would have to remain in slavery that must have been awful during that time to have your own freedom but you couldn't go back and get your kin folks and make them free as well but I'm thankful today that in the spirit realm in Christ when we have been made free we have the privilege that Anyone that we come in contact with can be just as free as we are. This is not an exclusive club that we're trying to keep small because there's a limited number of benefits that we want to share among ourselves like a bunch of shareholders, but we want to give the Gospel away to as many people as we can because we want more and more people to experience the freedom that we have. Amen? How should we live? And I'm closing. How should we live in the reality of freedom. Because freedom costs. But there should be a response to freedom. If Christ gave all for us, how should we live in the freedom that is given? You know, that guy that rode 13 missions on D-Day and drove his boat 13 times in the shore. i got to be honest, Jay. I think about him from time to time. And I don't think he did it just so I could set off fireworks. I don't think that he did that just so that I could have some sparklers and say, whee, I'm going to have a barbecue and some hot dogs. There's a response that is required for freedom. There's a way to live as an American citizen that honors the political and and, and patriotic sacrifices that were made. But spiritually, there's a response to freedom as well. I don't think Jesus gave his life in order that I could just congratulate myself for being a Christian and pretend that I'm holier than everybody else. But I think there's a response that He wants us to live. First of all, do not accept the bonds of slavery again. Paul told the Galatian church in chapter 5, verse 1, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What that means is Christ alone and Christ is enough. It means that we don't have to have a, a, a... Stack of rules this high in order to feel like we have been made justified before God. But when we throw ourselves on His mercy, we say, "Lord, I need You right now." We don't have to, to fast a hundred days in order for God to accept us. We can be accepted in Jesus Christ through His sacrifice. Stand fast in liberty. Number two, don't abuse your freedom to be malicious. First Peter chapter two verse sixteen. He says, "Don't allow your freedom to become a cloak of malice." I'm free. Christ has made me free. And so I can gossip about anybody I want to gossip about. I can be involved in any sin I want to be involved with. I can can curse and swear and run people down. I can ruin people's reputation. No, absolutely not. Peter said that's not the proper use of freedom. The proper use of freedom is to love people and to lift them up and share the gospel with them. Number three, don't enslave others. Number one, don't accept the bonds of slavery yourself. Number two, don't abuse your freedom to be malicious. Number three, don't enslave others. Jesus told the story of a servant who owed a great debt. A great debt, and it was forgiven. And then there was someone who owe, owed him a very small debt, and he said, I want to put in prison. How foolish. And our righteous indignation rises up, and we say, boy, you, you should, you know, he, that servant ought to be punished. He was forgiven millions of dollars, and then for twenty bucks, he wants to throw this guy in jail. You know, we do the same thing. Christ forgives us all our sins. And then somebody looks at us weird and we're we're mad at them for three Sundays. That doesn't make any sense. We don't have that spirit in this church. And I pray to God, well, I would say I pray to God it never gets in it, but then there are just some people who have to deal with it. So I pray to God if it ever gets in it, we'll get rid of it in one Sunday. Okay? (laughs) We want everybody to be delivered, right? I don't, you know, listen, I don't have, I'm not, good enough to hold a grudge against you. Because the Bible says that the way I measure mercy to you is the way it will be measured out to me. And I just don't have the privilege of measuring with thimblefuls of mercy when I need a Hoover Dam full of it for my own life. I've got to give you mercy. Even if I don't like you. And even if I don't want to, I've got to be merciful because that's where my freedom lies. I can't make you a slave if I expect God to make me free. Don't accept the bonds of slavery. Don't abuse your freedom. Don't enslave others. And number four, live. Live in the law of love. Romans 13 and 8 says, to love one another is to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. To to have freedom is to love one another. Why did God give us freedom? Why did He give us this wonderful privilege of being free? Why do we have liberty? in order that we can love. Because if you can't choose, it's not really real. And that's why God allowed us to be free. That's why He placed Adam and Eve in the garden and He gave them all these benefits. And then He said, there's a couple of things I don't want you to do because they need a choice in order to not be robotic. Why does God give us freedom in the spirit? To love people because love is deeper than freedom. Freedom is the foundation of our country, but love is the foundation of the universe. Freedom is the foundation of politics, but love is the foundation of spirituality. God is not freedom. He is freedom, but God is love. He does not define Himself as lawlessness. He defines Himself as love. And when we are truly free in Christ, then Rebecca, you don't have to fear not freedom. And that's the difference in the kingdom of Christ versus the citizenship of any other country the more free you make people. If you free me to take your stuff, Preston, then you need to fear my freedom. Because at some point, your freedom and my nose are going to come in contact. You know, it, 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 our rights compete for one another if freedom is the answer. But in God's kingdom, freedom is subservient to love. And God makes us free in order that we can share His love with others. Stand with me. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, if we want to claim to be the sons of God, then we have to love one another. We have to love one another. Do you love your brother today? Love your sister? That's the way we use our freedom. You got a, Anybody got a cell phone? Anybody got thumbs? If you got thumbs, show me your thumbs. Then you are free to text somebody this week and say, I appreciate you. I love you. It was good to see you son. I'm praying for your family. Anybody got ears? Most of you do. You're holding up your mask with it right now. You're free to listen to somebody this week and to really listen to them what their needs are. Underneath there, some of you have got mouths. You're free to use that tongue to glorify God this week. Speak a word of encouragement to somebody. You don't have to be an anointed, uh, ordained, commissioned prophet say something encouraging to somebody that you lift them up and change their week, change their experience. We can, we can minister to one another. Amen? Amen. Lord, in Your name, I'm praying over Your people right now. I'm asking You, God, to help us to use our freedom for the purpose for which You gave it to us. Lord, I'm asking You to help us to share Your freedom with others, Lord. I pray that a revolution would come to Arlington. A revolution not of politics. A revolution not of capitalism or, or material possessions. Not a revolution of education, God, but a revolution of the Spirit. God, I pray that people be set free from addictions. I pray that people be set free from bondage, Lord. They'd be set free from depression, God. they be set free from illness. God, I pray that people will be set free from their pride and from anger and division. God, I pray that You would send freedom, Lord, to our city. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. Amen. Why don't we take some time and worship as Jana leads us. Let's thank the Lord for the freedom that He's given us. And let's ask Him to share freedom with our families, our neighborhoods, and our community this week in the name of Jesus.